We are continuing our time in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we're approaching close to the halfway mark here in a couple of weeks, uh, then taking a break for Advent season up until, uh, you know, late December. Advent's great. I love Christmas. It's going to be a great time together. And so uh, this week, we are in Hebrews chapter 4. If you want to turn in the Red Pew Bibles, that's page 1186, the fourth chapter in, doing about 13 verses today. As you're flipping there, just uh, kind of a recap. Uh, last week, we talked about way back in the, those, uh, those first five books of the Old Testament called the, the Torah, the books of Moses. We looked especially at the generation who left Egypt and uh, were in the wilderness, who even after seeing all of what God did, still found themselves complaining and grumbling and lacking faith as they were on the border of the promised land and saw all the big fortified cities and the people who lived there and said, we'll never make it. We're never going to make it, even though God said, I'll be with you. We spoke of the nature of faith, what it means to respond to faith. And there's like a, you know, kind of a sermon on a sermon inside of a book here that this author who wrote the book of Hebrews is, he's turning our attention to Psalm 95 over and over again. And he's still doing so in chapter four, but this time he's really honing in on this dimension uh, of rest in Psalm 95. So before I, I, um, I read our text, uh, I, I wanna ask you that question. When you hear the word rest, what comes to your mind? Sabbath, Sabbath yeah. I, I want you to think beyond like Netflix binge with a Dorito bag or something. Like think beyond that kind of rest, okay? Like, I want you to think about those memories in your life, those times when just everything seemed like as it should be, right? Do you have something that comes to your mind? I do, you know, you think of, you know, as a kid, Christmas morning or birthdays or just, you know, times in my family that were meaningful or friends. More than likely, that memory you had in your mind had people involved that just wasn't you by yourself, more than likely. There are some times of solitude that are very meaningful, but usually when life is at its best, there's other people around, friends, family, right? I enjoy sitting in the woods with a book myself, but also enjoy being with people. And there's a deeper rest that comes, you know, outside of just like having a day off, you know? That's a good thing, like that's a good restful day, but there's a deeper rest that's beyond that and sometimes we find ourselves living in that rest. And this is what we're going to look at today. The Bible uh, uh, has a lot to say about rest. And this whole sermon's kind of about rest. And we're going to talk about striving for God's rest this morning. That's what this text says. Striving for God's rest. Let me just read this to us. This is a word of the Lord beginning in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, that is, a generation in the wilderness. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now that we, now who we have believed have entered that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And we'll 
Um, we'll pick up on that in a minute. So, Lord, we pray that this, uh, the, the words, your holy scriptures, Lord, that are living and that they're alive, Lord, that it would be, uh, you, would, you would speak to us through them into our hearts this morning. Yes, Jesus, amen. So this ancient generation in the wilderness had the gospel preached to them. It's an interesting phrase. Just as they had the good news preached to them, we have had it as well. And what was that good news to them? Well, in this author's mind, we talked about how the gospel really is like a kaleidoscope of so many ways to explain and talk about the good news of Jesus. And that the good news for them was that they were about to enter the rest of God. It was offered to them. God was going to be with them. He was bringing them to the precipice of, of, of entering his rest. And they heard that message, which ultimately we're going to see how it pointed to Christ um, as, the, as the story of God in human history uh, continued on. But he says they heard this message, they heard the good news of a rest that was available to them in this land, but it was of no value because once they heard it, once their ears received it, there was no faith. There was no faith combined with it, no faith that was available to them. But what rest is he talking about here? And this is where we have to dig deep. I hope you guys are awake. You better be awake. We had a whole extra hour of sleep. So if I, if I see you dozing off, I don't know what I'm going to do. I wanna, I'll find something to kind of throw at you here. We, we have to kind of go to a little wormhole, some wormholes this morning, okay? So here we go. Some biblical wormholes. They're great. I love Bible wormholes, they're fascinating, and you get to join me on one this morning. And I hope it makes sense, because sometimes my brain, I don't know what goes on in there. So here we go. Here's the wormhole. Beginning of verse 3, we have to understand what the, uh, the author here means by the rest of God. Let's walk through this. Now, we who have entered, we who have believed, that is, if you're a Christian this morning, you believed in Jesus, you have entered the rest of God already, okay? We who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, back to Psalm 95, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Go way back to the beginning of our Bibles. World created. Day one, two, three, four, five, six. It is good. It is good. Humanity is created. It is really good. And at the beginning of chapter two, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. This is Genesis chapter 2. And all the hosts of them on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He set it apart, made it unique amongst the seven days. Because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So let's track this. The author's doing something fascinating here. He understands that when God rested on the seventh day, there was something more than just a 24-hour period that started there. There was a bigger rest that God began on that day, that he entered into on that day. I want to consider what the Garden of Eden was like, because that's what follows soon after that passage about God starting his rest, entering his rest. Well, how can we describe the Garden of Eden? lots of words to describe them but one little phrase that can just kind of sum it up well 
is God was with his people. I mean, like with them, walking around, talking with them. He was present with them. And so go back to our beginning. We think about that, you know, kind of life as it should be, those memories of just like just deep rest in your life. There was probably other people around, maybe parents or family or grandparents, and just everything just seemed right. Laughter happening kind of echoed in the other room. There's a good meal in front of you. You were just feasting, maybe some Fourth of July cookout or something. It was just everything felt safe and secure and happy and at peace. You had what you needed. And it's like if all the the pieces of life just kind of somehow came together in one kind of perfect mosaic, just for even a brief afternoon, it's just like, yes, this feels like life as it should be for half day or for that day. That's rest. Maybe some people that was reading when they engaged this idea, it's also kind of the idea of a home. Right? Home is different for all of us, but when you think of home, similar memories, similar feelings kind of come. Similar, almost, you know, sentimental feelings come. And I think it comes because this was originally, like we were designed and crafted by God, right? His fingers worked on us here, and he designed us to actually be with him, carefully crafted to not be alone, but to be with him, not for a day, not for an afternoon, but in a place forever in Eden. We were going to be with our daddy, with our father. And sometimes we have that day off, which is a Sabbath. It kind of reminds us of that time God rested. But the Sabbath and the rest, as we're going to see, uh, it only kind of points toward a greater rest. But just listen to how uh, in the book of Exodus, this idea of a Sabbath day is described. And just pay attention to it. In Exodus 20, beginning of verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is unique. Keep it set apart. What we just read in Genesis, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourner, who is within you, your gates. For six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, then all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. So he blessed the Sabbath, and he made it, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. This was a day set apart unto God, okay? A 24-hour period where you're intentionally stopping to rest and to delight and worship in God, and you're setting it apart for him. That 24-hour period comes to a close. It's not forever. It comes to a close. But our hearts are then, if you, if you practice Sabbath keeping, which, you know, we, we try to in my family. It's a little disorganized now, but we'll get back in the rhythm soon. When Sabbath is over, you find yourself saying, I, okay, when's the next one start? That was great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it again, right? There's this like yearning for that kind of rest in God just to kind of be our life's pattern and our life's way because there is also in the Old Testament a greater rest that's mentioned, a greater rest that's described that ultimately Sabbath was only pointing towards. I want to read this from the book of Deuteronomy. There's a different rest. It's a greater rest. Deuteronomy 12, it says this. Uh, We're coming, jumping in halfway in a chapter here. It says, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Verse nine is what I want to focus on here. For you have not yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. What inheritance is that? Verse 10, when you go over the Jordan, it's the river, and live in the land, 
This is the promised land. This is the rest that he's talking about. When you live in that inheritance in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from your enemies and so forth and so on. This land, this promised land in the Old Testament scriptures was described as a place of rest for his people, a place of rest. Joshua says this, Joshua 1, 13, as they were on the precipice of the land about to go into it to conquer, he says, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you what? Rest by giving you this land. That's more than just a Sabbath 24-hour rest, right? There's a different rest that's being referred to here. Echoed again when King Solomon, some, some centuries later, 1 Kings 8, verse 56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. So thus, I hope you kind of get the picture here, okay? This is our wormhole. Hope your, 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 your thinking caps are on, okay? The promised land, that little strip of land that is no bigger than New Jersey, is described as Israel's rest, all right? You guys here? You guys awake? You good? All right, we, we sure? Okay, great. You know, I pay him for a reason, you know? He, he's, on, he's on stipend here. Um, if you remember Psalm 95, okay, that we're quoting here, it says, uh, uh, taken from the psalm, as I swore in my wrath, I shall never enter my rest. This is a quote from Psalm 95. Um, and the question becomes, what rest is that? So when was Psalm 95 written? Okay. Um, and what rest is that being talked about? Is that the Sabbath rest, the land? Like what's going on? Okay. Um, Psalm 95 was written um, to kind of warn a different generation of Israel to say, you remember that generation in the wilderness who lost their faith and was prevented from entering God's rest? Yeah, like don't do that. Take that story as a warning to keep faith in your own life that you don't fall into the same disobedience that they did and is, thus are prevented from experiencing and entering God's rest. That's what Psalm 95 is about. But the author here, he connects that rest of the promised land, interestingly enough, to Genesis chapter 2, when God rested, when he created the world. Listen. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in his words. And on the seventh day, God arrested from all of his works, Genesis 2. And again in the passage above, Psalm 95, this guy's a preacher, you know. He says, they shall never enter my rest. He's connecting those two rests. What does that two things have to do with each other? The rest of the promised land, the, the rest of resting on the seventh day. What's going on here? When God rested from his works, Adam and Eve were in the garden place. This was paradise. This was home. This was everything was made, everything was right. God was with them. So I, I made a little chart here. God's rest to begin with equals Eden. Garden of Eden. God's rest equals Eden. When he rested, Eden was created. His people were there and he was like, ah, oh, this is great. Life is at its best. This is great. Okay. But then the next slide, because there's another rest, the promised land. So as the story progresses, there's the next slide. Uh, God's rest is now after sin. You can go through the whole story. It's a big dramatic story. Now it's described as, well, the promised land is going to be God's rest. His people with their God. Okay? You guys tracking? All right? 
Psalm 95 was written while they were already in the promised land. Okay, for centuries at this point. Hundreds of years they had already been there, um, centuries after Joshua and Moses. So whoever wrote Hebrews attributes this to David that he wrote it. So David was alive like 400 years after Joshua entered this land of rest. And so David is saying to his generation of Israel, while they were already in the promised land, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not rebel at the generation of the wilderness because you will not enter God's rest. But I thought they were already in the promised land. Aren't they in God's rest? What rest is he talking about? Okay, that's a problem. We have to reconcile this. What do we do with that? What rest then? They're in his rest. What is this talking about? So our next line has these marked off here. There's a different rest. There's something else. What is it? The rest of Psalm 95, question mark. How do we understand that rest? Let's move forward. Aren't wormholes fun? I love stuff like this. But it's going to be meaningful here in a few minutes. In verse 6, it still remains that some will enter that rest. Psalm 95, rest. And those who formerly had the good news, the gospel preached to them, did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And listen, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. About another day. Because now this rest of God, it extends past the Garden of Eden, And it seems to have even been unfulfilled after Joshua entered the land because David was still saying, you guys need to enter God's rest, even though you're already in this land. So what is this rest about? One of my favorite stories of the Bible here. Moses tells us. Moses describes this. Okay? Because Moses talks, so I want to tee this up. Back to your image of home. Okay? Back to your image of that, that day as it should be. Okay, that day of rest, there's, there's, there's people around and you're laughing, you're eating good food, right? So imagine what place you were in, okay? You were in whatever place that was, okay? Um, you know, we used to go to my grandmother's house on every other or so Sunday afternoon because we were rednecks, we watched NASCAR. I'm from Georgia, so don't judge me. And we would watch racing and just sit around. It was great afternoons, right? Um, Think of that memory for you, but remove all the people, okay? Think of what place you were in, but remove everything else. You're just like in the place, and now you're just alone. What's left of that day, okay? There's something good. There's a place that you're there, but suddenly all the other people are out of it. There's a big chunk of that day as it should be, kind of everything as it should be. Suddenly it's kind of gone, right? You realize how valuable people are in the presence of others, and just how that, that brings that shalom, that peace in our life. Moses would agree with this sentiment, because listen to this. Uh, listen to his words concerning God in the very promised land, a very important part of the biblical story. This takes place, if you, if you know the Bible, you know, he was up on Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments and the whole law, but he was gone for a long time. And Israel was down at the foot of the mountain, kind of watching the, fi- the, the mountain burn and smoke and be on fire. And they're like, maybe Moses is dead. It's, it's been a long time. Um, what do we do? Let's build a golden calf and worship it. It was a terrible idea, Okay. And so, read the story, it's crazy. And then, this is what God says to Moses in Exodus 33 right after. He says, depart, 
Go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the, uh, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I'll send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing in milk and honey. All sounds good. Look at the next phrase. But I will not go among you, lest I consume you in the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. He says, go, take, take the land. I'm not going, Moses. I'll even help you, but I'm not going with you. This is, this is Yahweh God talking. I'm not going. Home without the family. Life as it should be without the people around you. You guys tracking with this? What does a place of rest become if God isn't there anymore? What does Moses respond with? Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. Moses is pleading with God, saying, I know you, we have a great relationship, you and I, God. These are your people, too. He's boldly pleading with God here. It's an amazing uh, boldness from, from Moses, saying, aren't they your people, Lord? In verse 14, he says, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest, speaking to Moses, okay? I'll, I'll go with you. I'll give you rest, Moses, but listen to verse 15. He says, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And he goes a plural there. Don't bring us to that land if your presence is not going with us. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I in your people? Is it not in your going with us, God with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And remarkably, verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. <laughs> I have found favor in your sight, and I know you by name. In other words, God, Moses said to God, what is the point of this land if you're not going with us? Well, let that sit for a minute here. What is the point of this land if you're not going with us, God? Is it not your relationship with us that makes us distinct? What is land... If you're not with us, every nation on earth has land, but it is you that makes us distinct. It is you that makes us unique among the people. If you aren't going, God, I don't want to go. This is the point of our sermon today. God's rest is not found in the day. It's not found in the week. God's rest in the Bible was never fully realized even in Eden was never fully realized even in the promised land. There was a teaching point to all of this. I don't know if we, uh, I know the world's crazy right now, but I want to show you this. Okay, look, so we have the next slide, God's rest, Eden, promised land. Look, God's rest ultimately is this. All these things point toward one thing, being with God. That's what Moses was saying. I want to be with you, God. That's the whole point of this, was it not? That you're with us? What do you mean go and not go with us? I don't want to go anywhere where you're not going, Lord. 
I want to be with you. You know me, my name. I want to have that kind of intimate relationship with you that where I go, you are. Where you go, I go. And if you're not going, don't take me, Lord. That's the rest. Ultimately, that's the rest that Joshua was talking about. That's the rest that God entered into with his people in Eden when he rested on the seventh day. That's the rest that David was writing about to his people who were already in the land. He said, some of you are even in this promised land and you haven't even entered God's rest yet because you're just like those people in the wilderness. You're stiff-necked, right? Your faith, you're kicking up against him and you need to embrace who he is and say, Lord, be with me, know me by name and then you will find his rest. Isaiah 66 says this, He says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that she would build for me and what is my place of rest? Is it a house? Really? A temple or something? All of these things my hand has made. So all of these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and triples at my word. I want you to understand this. The whole point of what Hebrews is pointing us toward is that if God is with us and we are with God, This becomes the rest that we can begin living in because to live an awareness that says this, this is the new covenant awareness here, the new covenant gift to us is that God is with us now. He's with us now. I'm gonna say that one more time. He's here in this room. There's no more traveling to this place or that place to go to this temple or that temple. He's here. He's with us now. In Brother Lawrence's famous book called Practicing the Presence of God, we, we have to learn to not just know that, not just be aware of it, but what if we practiced his presence? Like he's right next to me. What does that mean for my life? And we're, this is where the rest of life is available to us. Brother Lawrence said it this way. I cannot imagine how religious persons, because it's an old book, can, can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. Listen to the rest kind of language here. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depth of the center of my soul as much as I can. And while I am so with him, I fear nothing. But the least turning from him is insupportable. I keep myself retired with him in the depth of my center of my soul as much as I can. That's living in a state of rest with God day in and day out. God is with you. It's so hard to grasp that. What happens when you live life as if God is with you? Hebrews says you're entering into the rest of God. No fear in life because God is with you. No anxieties in life because God is with you. I mean, it sounds so simple, but just listen to the truth of this. Because of the good work of Jesus Christ who who washed away our sins, who was raised from the dead and sent his spirit to continue the works that he did, God's very spirit that now dwells in all of his people, he is with us now. No anxiety in life. He's with you. No unrighteous anger in your life. He is with you and he is in control and you are not. No more lust or indulgence or food or drink in life because God is enough. 
No more attaching yourselves to certain ideologies in order to find and secure some identity for yourself because God is with you and through Christ you are his adopted child. He is with you. Verse 9, let's continue on. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his work just as God did. Just like God did in Genesis chapter 2. He rested from his works. He rested from his work. The promised land was based on a covenant. When Israel disobeyed, you can read about it in Ezekiel, what happened with God's presence in those latter really dark years in Israel's history? Ezekiel watched them just leave. So I'm not with these people anymore. It was devastating. And they were led into exile from the land. We never read about God's presence being with his people quite the same um, afterwards. All the way up until, you know, that's some of the problem in those latter years in, our, in the Old Testament was like, where is his presence? Like, it's not quite the same. Like, is he going to visit us again? These promises and everything, like, is he going to visit us again? And, and he did that Christmas morning in a manger. God with us. When Jesus was walking around the earth, uh, at one point he raised a widow's son from the dead and, and, and people saw him and, uh, do this work. And it said in Luke 17, fear seized them all that glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. But some said, God has visited his people. God with us. And as Jesus departed from this world, he even makes his home in us. I want you to think about this. These are truths, maybe you know this. Listen to this verse in Ephesians one more time from NIV here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, why? So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He makes his home in your heart. Don't you think about that? The God of all the universe, the very Christ who died for your sins and rose from the dead, who sent his spirit, he is dwelling in your hearts through faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is life, living a life unto God. A life full of God. A Sabbath day was set apart to be unto God. A Sabbath rest for us Jesus followers is a life lived unto God. Do you guys understand that? And this is what's offered to us. Not a day, but a life lived unto God. This is what remains for us. So yeah, in our closing here, um, it's, it's, it's a whole other sermon. There's like three sermons wrapped up in this sermon, so I have to bring this to a close. But I, I want to just to pause for a minute on the back end and just say, what does a life of rest truly look like? Like, is your life described by rest? Even in the busyness of your day. Like, if I come to your house, if somebody comes into your home after a long, stressful day, is your, is your house still a place of rest? Any anxieties or stress, do you bring them home and it kind of like unleashes to those around you because you still can't quite control it and you're still grasping to, so you're shutting down other people around you. And like, is, is there a rest in your house? Especially talking to you men in this room. Maybe struggle with anger and short-temperedness. It can happen. 
There is a possibility, in other words, that as we're living even in the most difficult and insane circumstances, or even in the good times, or in the worst of times, that the Sabbath life of rest can actually describe your life if you're living in light of God with you. This is described so well in Philippians 4, written by a guy in jail, mind you, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be, be, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful description of a life of rest, even in the midst of insane turmoil. I'm praying, guys, and peace just fills me, regardless of what's happening around me. I'm giving out thanksgiving to God. Even I have a right right to be anxious, I'm giving up that right and saying, Lord's in control, he's with me. I'm entrusting this to him, and I'm living a life of rest. And this is hard, because in closing, verse 11 says this, make every effort, therefore, to uh, make every effort to enter that rest. It's funny. Work hard to be at rest. But that's the reality of what we're talking about, right? We have to practice this. We have to practice this. And if we, we have to uh, do this in order that we may not fall following their example of obedience. This rest in God is cultivated by our daily living in his ways. Daily living in his ways. This life in God does not passively bear fruit. Um, it, just like a plant that is watered. Uh, Jesus, if we water Um, his presence in our life, when we become aware of it, we begin producing his fruit in our life. And this is the word of God. Ends here in verse 12. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so, Lord, I want to pray that verse over these precious people in this room. Lord, this was your word. I hope I represented it okay, Lord. But it's alive. May it pierce, divide, and, and just and conquer hearts in this room, Lord. Lord, I pray for a spirit of repentance for anybody who needs to turn from a life of stress and anxiety to a life of faith, faithfulness in you. Lord, grant this church a, a pathway of peace, of rest, a life of Sabbath rest in you, Lord. May your presence be so just just so uh, powerfully just present here among us, Lord. And help us to live in light of it, Lord. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.